from KQED. San Francisco streets are lined with iconic, well-known buildings. The Transamerica Pyramid, City Hall, the Ferry Building. But Bay Curious listener Spencer Barton has always wondered about another building on Market near DuBose Avenue. It's a hulking gray building that Spencer passes on his way to work. Yeah, it's sort of like, I don't know, it's like a castle on the hill or something. It has very small windows. It doesn't seem like anybody ever enters or leaves. Nobody ever goes in. Nobody ever comes out. Is it a Wonka factory? A jail? The royal residence of some San Francisco socialite? Spencer wants to know. What is the big concrete barbed wire encased building behind the Safeway on Market Street. I'm Ryan Levy, sitting in for Olivia Allen Price, and this is Bay Curious, the podcast where we answer your questions about the Bay Area. This week, we're going inside that building. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Founded in 1980, it's still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And still the pale ale that sparked a craft beer revolution. Sierra Nevada, still the one. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Reporter Amanda Font has been obsessed with this building for months now. So, Amanda, what's all the secrecy and security about? What's inside that building? Well, the short answer is... It's a U.S. Mint. Oh, cool. So they're making money there. They are. And they let you in to see how it's done? Yes, but it wasn't easy. It's not open to the public. I had to get permission from Mint headquarters in D.C. and pass a background check. But before we go inside, here's some history about the building. Turns out this is the third version of the San Francisco Mint. The first one opened in the 1850s because of the gold rush. And what they found is it was really difficult to get the gold back to the East Coast. That's Dave Jacobs, the site superintendent. They opened a mint in what is now San Francisco's financial district, but demand grew. So in 1874, they built a new one, which was dubbed the Granite Lady. It even survived the 1906 quake and fires thanks to employees who used an on-site well to keep the flames at bay. And they uh, wired up some generators, put some lights on, and it was kind of like the symbol of hope in the city of San Francisco. In 1937, they moved again. So now you're in the new mint, where we're 81 years young. And that's the Market Street building I had to get into. The security is intense. In addition to all the barbed wire and cameras, it's guarded by federal police. KQED video producer Adam Grossberg went with me, so you'll hear his voice too. And yes, there is a video. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good. We're expecting you. You need to park first. Come on up and sign in. Thanks a lot. If you have any coins, leave them in your car. Okay. Coins, knives, I guess, yeah, we know the camera's coming. Okay, I understand no knives, but coins? Right. No one is allowed to bring any coins into the building. They were very explicit about that. 
When I first booked the tour, they told me to double check everywhere because otherwise they would find them. That's a little weird. Yeah. The only coins allowed in the building are the ones being made in the building. So if I reach into my pocket right now, I could find coins made in San Francisco? You might. But this mint hasn't made circulation coins since Nixon resigned in 1974. Every coin is marked with a tiny letter indicating where it was made. It's an S for San Francisco. But you're much more likely to find a D for Denver or P for Philadelphia. That's because the San Francisco Mint exclusively makes collectible proof coins. They come in the same denominations as regular coins, but they're perfect. What do you mean by perfect? Gleaming like the sun, Ryan, and not a single flaw. Let me tell you how it's done. There are four main stages to create a flawless proof. The first stage is coining. Blank metal disks arrive already cut and shaped to the size of the coins they'll become. Those are called blanks. Coining supervisor Cynthia Russell and her team check them for quality. Inspection comes here first. Everybody inspect, but of course, before we even bring the blanks on that side, we, we make sure that everything's good here so we don't bake any bad ones on the other side. If these blanks aren't perfect, they're sent back to be remelted. If they pass, they're heated to 1,500 degrees. They come out looking dull and tarnished, like a well-used baking tray. Then they're put through a chemical wash and into a polishing machine, and when they come out, they've got a mirror finish. From now on, these super shiny blanks can only be touched with gloved hands to keep them pristine. In the second room, they're prepping the dyes they'll use to put George Washington, or whoever's face, on the blank. A die, that's D-I-E, is basically a metal stamp with an inverted image of the coin. These also need to be perfect and highly polished. But to make sure they don't rub off the delicate artwork in the process, they need to protect it. Like this kind of die, you have to really patiently, you cannot be trying to rush it. This is Pansy Mir. She's working on a die for a Native American dollar coin. She puts a piece of regular scotch tape over the image. Try to be careful, try to cover inside. Then, using a microscope and an exacto knife, she meticulously cuts around the image of Sacagawea and her infant son. So we try to cut it and, and more try to cover up the, the baby hair. If we don't cover up, then it's going to be polished out. All the hairline is gone. So it's very detailed work. Yeah, very detailed work. So when they hire us, it's like 18 months for training. Really? Yes. After polishing, extra details are added to the image with a laser. Then the dye is coated with a thin layer of chrome to harden and protect it, because they're about to be subjected to a lot of pressure in stage three, the press room. This is where I met proud press room supervisor and second generation Mint employee, Carlos Tumpet. Welcome to my 21st century blacksmith operation. The presses in this room are minting 10 coins plus two commemorative Marine Corps medals, all of them in perfect collectible condition. When was the last time you saw a really shiny, pretty penny? So have you seen one that looked like this? Imagine a coin so shiny you can see the reflection of your own eyeball looking back at you from behind Lincoln's head. So what you're looking at is a proof penny. These presses are more precise than the ones used for circulation coins, and stronger. Funny thing is, no one ever asked me how many metric tons it takes to make a penny. All right, Carlos, how many does it take? If you look right now, just to make a penny, we are stamping at 54 metric tons. That is impressive. But you want to see a penny or do you want to see a dollar? 
Because what would you really want to see? How about one of those Sacagawea dollars? At one of the presses, I watch as blanks are loaded into the machine by hand. Then, robotic grippers place it just right. The obverse and reverse, that's heads and tails, are stamped at the same time. Proof coins are struck a minimum of two times. This time, it takes 97 metric tons of pressure. Just for comparison, that's like stacking 17 African bull elephants on a spot just slightly larger than an inch. So here's your first strike. One, two, from a blank to a coin. This one you can touch. And when this fresh squeezed dollar came sliding out of the machine, I actually got to hold it. But not for long. I would love to let you keep that, but there's something called federal cops. Right. Hi, Chris. <laughs> then, because my unworthy human hands had marred its collector-quality perfection, the coin was tossed in the reject pile to get sent back to be remelted. But it's a small pile because they're keen to prevent mistakes. The press operators inspect every coin, and then they're hand-polished again. I'd say the unofficial motto of the San Francisco Mint is, always be polishing. Finally, the new coins head to the packaging room, where they'll be boxed into collector sets by robots. I couldn't interview any of the workers in this room, but I did meet supervisor Tanya Jones. We have hit the technological apex. Where there used to be humans, there are now 13 robotic arms, inspecting and packaging the coins by touch and sight. So each area down this line where you see light, that's a vision station. So it's looking at that particular part to see if it's acceptable or not. If their little robotic eyes sense something still isn't perfect, it gets kicked off the line. These collector sets are literally in mint condition. Now they'll be packed, loaded, and then sold on the U.S. Mint website. So they do this all just for coin collectors. That's right. They are a small but very enthusiastic group. It goes back a long way to when I was a kid. and People had lots of pocket change, so I kept looking for the ones with S on it because they were from San Francisco. Numismatists, as they're also called, like Jason Macario, are who the mint is selling to. As a San Francisco native, he prefers to collect coins made at the old mint, but occasionally he buys new releases. Last year, actually, they put out a gold version of the Mercury Dime. I got there the moment they went on sale, and it was like concert tickets. In five minutes, it was gone. Jason admits the numismatic crowd is not as big as it once was. And as anybody in our hobby will tell you, it's very hard to find someone under 40 who's interested in coin collecting. You know, I used to collect coins. Really, Ryan? You were an amateur numismatist? I was. Uh, I had one of those big boards where you could collect all of the different state quarters. I got a bunch of them. And what happened to your collection? Uh, well, I spent them. Figures. <laughs> Reporter Amanda Font, thank you so much for this story. My pleasure, Ryan. And thanks to Spencer Barton for asking this week's question. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. I'm Ryan Levy. Take it easy. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play March's trivia game? Every month, we'll read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. 
Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a sweet prize package with Bay Curious Swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, this Bay Area high school holds the longest winning streak in high school football. They won 151 games in a row between 1992 and 2004. What is the name of the school? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.